Father, we give you praise and glory. We give you honor and adoration. We thank you, El Shaddai, for the privilege to be here again to study your word. The entrance of your word brings light and deep understanding to the simple. And therefore we pray, Lord, as we come to you today, you will give us understanding. And may, may your light shine in our lives so we walk no more in darkness. Thank you, Abba Father. Thank you, Rock of Ages. In Jesus' name. Amen. Greetings to you, brothers and sisters, and thank you all for being here this evening to study the Word of the Lord. If you're joining us today for your very first time, I pray that God bless you and may God give you understanding as we study His Word today. Today we're going to be dealing with a very important topic and today we're talking about Christian giving. Christian giving. It is important that we talk about giving because in recent times, giving is one of those uh, aspects of the Christian faith that has been attacked and widely misunderstood, criticized, to the point where some Christians do not feel the need to engage in giving as they ought to because critics of giving have polluted their minds or their faith as it concerns their responsibility as Christians to give whether to the church or to people or to give to the poor or to those in need. When you look at the statistics in the church today about giving, it is very sad and very poor. It was said that the amount of money that the Americans spend a year during Halloween and Christmas, only, 10, only 1% of that is given to missions in supporting missionaries who preach the gospel around the world. So we rather spend money on Halloween costumes and having parties and buying Christmas trees and Christmas lights than giving actually for the expansion of the gospel. There are also different types of giving. That is why we talk about Christian giving. The Muslims give. The Hindus give. Uh, even non-Christians give. Most of the people who are not Christians are big into charity. If you know most of the billionaires, they may not believe in God, but they are involved in charity. The fact that somebody is giving doesn't make it a Christian giving. There are biblical principles outlined in scriptures that makes a giving uh, recognized or accepted as a Christian giving. You may even be a Christian and yet not practicing Christian giving. What makes it a Christian giving is that it must be in alignment with the scriptures. It must be according to God's word, not, not according to what you think or what you want. It must be according to God's word. The first thing we understand about giving is that when, when we give, we are in partnership with God. We are in partnership with God. Somebody made a statistics and said, if all millionaires and billionaires will give 10% of their wealth away, poverty will be eradicated from the world. If all billionaires give 10% of their wealth away, 
poverty will be eradicated from the world. But no, we rather amass this money and keep in our bank accounts so we can stay on record that I'm the richest person in the world, I'm the richest person in Africa, I'm the richest person in my tribe, in my village. Instead of using the money for what God gave it for. So we have to understand that there are lives that God wants to change. There are areas that God wants to change. There are people God wants to bless. But there are no banks in heaven. The banks that God has are here on the earth. And he has given the resources of those banks into the hands of people. And he needs the people who have to resource those resources to release the resources so that he can achieve his purposes and plans in the lives of people. So if we refuse to give, we deny partnership with God. There are widows that God wants to reach. There are orphans God wants to reach. There are people God wants to help. But it all depends on our generosity. There are places right now where the gospel has not been reached. The gospel has not been preached. But for a missionary to go there, he needs finances. Somebody said the gospel is free, but it runs on the wheels of money. The gospel is free, but it runs on the wheels of money. So if those that God has given the resources to accomplish these things are not releasing the funds, then they have refused to partner with God to accomplish his salvation agenda. So when we, for us to engage in partnership, we have to understand, number one, that God owns everything. God owns everything. In Psalms 24, verse 1, he said, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All those who dwell in the, uh, on the earth belongs to the Lord. You can also see Psalms 89, verse 11, Job 41, 11, 1 Chronicles 29, 10 to 14. We are not owners, but we are stewards. All ownership is with God. Every single created thing, living or not, ultimately belongs to God, including everything material, immaterial, that we may personally have in this life, possessions, careers, or families. Everything that we have belongs to the Lord. So when you are giving to God, you're not doing God a favor because it belongs to him in the first place. If God wants to cut you off from everything that you have, it takes a second. So giving to God is not doing God a favor. It's just like when I go to the bank and I tell the cashier, please give me uh, $20. The cashier is not doing me a favor. The money in the, account, in the bank is my money. So when you're giving to God, you're simply giving back to him what belongs to him. God has given us all these things for us to enjoy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 to 17. And when we realize that they belong to God, we have the ultimate responsibility of taking care of them. We are not owners. We just take care of them. In partnership with God, we also understood, understood like I said, that we are stewards. God has God has the ownership. Ownership belongs to God and stewardship belongs to us. So the property is his, but then he puts us as property managers. That is where we fall. 
We are not owners, we are stewards. As steward managers, a steward manager is the one who takes care of what belongs to someone else. God, God owns everything. But as stewards, we manage and take care of that which belongs to God. We have an obligation to be faithful in his stewardship. The Lord holds us accountable for the special responsibility of managing and taking care of the things he has given to us. You can read Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 13. You read the story of the parable of the talents. To the one who gave, he gave five, he made ten. The one who gave two, he made four. And the one who had one said, I buried your property because your, your talent, because I knew you were trying to reap from where you did not sow. And the Lord said, if you knew that I wanted to reap from where I did not sow, you should have given my money to the treasurers, to the bankers, and I would have made profit. So how we manage what God has given to us is, is going to determine how God is going to judge us. Because everything God has given to us is for us to manage. Before God, before God's stewardship covers everything that belongs to us. Our lives, in Acts, you can see Acts 17.25, 1 Corinthians 6.19, Galatians 2.20, Job 33.4. Job 33, the next thing is our time. In Psalms 90 verse 12, Ephesians 5.15-16, Colossians 4.5. Our talents and abilities, First Peter 4.10, 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 and 11. Our possessions, Matthew 6, 19-21, it says, For where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. Our finances, our finances, First Timothy 6.6. 6. Matthew 6.24. The message of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, and 1 Corinthians 9, 16 to 17, and 1 Timothy 6, 20. So when we understand that everything concerning our lives belongs to God, not just our money, our time, our talent, our finances, our treasures, we will manage those resources very well. Now let's look at giving in the early church, how the early church gave. Because when we understand giving in the early church, we can then understand how we should give to the as a church. Even though all that was applied in the early church may not be applicable today because they were in a different time frame, a different culture, a different environment. But there are things we can learn from the early church and put into practice even in our own lives or in our own churches today. You know, in the early church, we realized that all believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as they had need. No one claimed that any of his possession was his own. But they had shared everything they had. As we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 to 45, 
and that's 432. So they had everything in common. So if you had money in your bank account, you emptied the bank account and brought it to church. They had everything in common. They basically lived as if they were children from the same family. This basic, this basic attitude of the early church laid the foundation for every expression of giving that was to come later. As, as the number of Christians multiplied, different methods of giving appeared. But all their giving expressed their understanding of stewardship, that everything ultimately belongs to God. Now in the early church, we see that number one, the church supported the needy. And the reason why the church was able to support the needy is because they gave everything, they had everything in common. So it was easy to support those who were in need. Number two, churches gave sacrificially to one another. So if a church, let's say in Virginia, heard that a church in Winchester, a church in Maryland was struggling, they will send resources to help that church. Today, it's, it's almost difficult sometimes for churches to support other churches. If a church, let's say in Maryland, was on the news that they were about to foreclose on the church because the church was not able to pay the mortgage, you'll be, it will be interesting to know that some pastors will go to the pulpit and make fun of that church or use it as a means to celebrate. I say, did you hear that the church in Maryland was actually evicted? We must thank God that God has given us money to pay our rent and we have abundance. But it doesn't, it doesn't come to the minds of people that if our sister church is, or another church is struggling somewhere, we should be the one to support them out of debt or out of their need. The early church gave to one another. The church supported traveling uh, ministers. Like the Apostle Paul, he traveled from place to place establishing new churches. Sometimes he had to work on his own to support himself with his own hands. Like you see in Acts chapter 18, verse, uh, verse 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7 to 9. On other occasions, you know, the Philippian church showed the truth, the true spirit of generosity, which Apostle Paul commends. And that is when we, most times when we read Philippians, we say, my God shall supply all my needs. The Apostle Paul was uh, making that statement when he was responding to the generosity of the Philippian church. They had given to him to support his missionary journey. That's what he said, and my God shall supply all your needs. So that scripture applies to those who support ministers to preach the gospel. If you are one of, if you don't support the preaching of the gospel, you have no right to quote that scripture. Because this scripture was a blessing to those who are giving to Apostle Paul for supporting his missionary journey. Number four, Christians worked to be able to give. So since they had all in common, they didn't want to have been a situation where when, when they have need, they can't give. So they will look for jobs. They will work. They look for means of making money so that they could come to the house of God and give. So this should tell us that the number one reason for us to work is not so we can just take care of ourselves and our families. We work so that we can have something to also give for the Lord's work. This is what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, 26, 28. He says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, 
he must work with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. So one of the reasons for working was not just so you can have a job and take care of yourself, but also that you may have something to share with those in need. So giving in the early church was a proof of their love. In 2 Corinthians 8, 14, to 14 and 24, it says, At this time, your plenty will supply what they need. Therefore, show by giving the proof of your love. So, like we know in the scripture, for God so loved that he gave. You can't claim to love your brothers and sisters and you're not giving. You can't claim to love the Lord and you're not giving. Giving was a proof of love in the early church. Now, in, to understand this uh, Christian giving, there are about 14 principles that are guide that are uh, used in guiding Christian giving. And we're going to go after them one after the other. Number one, the Lord Jesus Christ expects us to give. So giving is an expectation. Giving is a requirement for every Christian. Giving is not optional. You don't say, well, I don't like to give. Giving is an expectation, it's a requirement. If you are a Christian, Jesus requires you to give. Jesus says to his disciples, when you give, not if you give. Matthew 6, 2. He says, when you give. So giving is not optional. We hear people say, oh, giving was something of large in the Old Testament. You know, Jesus was clear in his teaching. As far as, if you understand that, 3% of, I mean, 75% of all parables that Jesus Christ told was about money. Because if the Lord can have your pocket, he will have your heart. Because the Bible says, where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. So when, you, when the Lord succeeds to destroy the power of money in your life, he will truly have your full attention. There are people who may be in the church, they are blessed, they are healed, they are delivered, but the moment they start to talk about money, they may leave that church because they want to be everywhere else as far as money is not spoken about because their hearts are still in money. Number two, giving should be for the right reasons. Like I said, you can give. If the motive of that giving is not right, it's not a Christian giving. God doesn't accept that giving. Jesus warned his disciples not to give for the sake of being admired by men. He said, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be honored by them. In Matthew 6, 1. When we give, we must be careful to examine our motives. We ought to give for the glory of God and the good of his people. There was a a survey or a, a, an experiment that a pastor did. He collected offerings publicly by holding the basket himself and said he wants everyone to walk to the front and give their offerings during offering time. The offering was much. And then he went into a secret room and put a basket and told the Christians that everyone should go into that room and drop their offering. The offering was not even up to half the next week. Because 
when people were giving, they were giving maybe so the pastor could see that they are giving, or so others can see that they were giving. But when it was secret giving and nobody was watching, people did not even go into that room to go and give. You can clearly tell that the first time they gave abundantly was because their motives were not right. Because if we truly want to give to the Lord, it doesn't matter whether we're in public or in secret, we will give. Because we know we give to the Lord who sees in secret. We must desire his approval of, of our giving rather than the praises and admiration of people. So are you giving for man's praise or for the recognition of men? Number three, Christians should practice benevolent or charitable giving. Christians should practice benevolence or charitable giving. Jesus said when you give to the poor, <coughs> excuse me, when you give to the poor, he means he's expecting us as Christians to give to the poor. You know, sometimes we are going to church. Maybe on your, going to church on a Sunday morning, there's a homeless woman at the stop sign. There's a homeless man who is hungry. And you just drive past them. It's important that you, you're going to give in church. But the Lord is also expecting us to give to the poor, to the needy. When Jesus Christ was teaching about uh, make, give, make your giving in secret, Jesus was specifically teaching about arms, which is like charity or aid. So when you give to the poor, don't announce it. Don't come and say, hey, I just helped a sister with $100. I just helped a brother with... No, once you give to them, it stays between you and them. He was not talking about church offerings because sometimes people don't want to give in church because they say the Bible says, you know, let not your neighbor know what you're doing. Let not your right hand know what you're giving. That is not a context. The context is about helping the poor. When you help somebody, you give money to the poor, don't go about announcing it. And that's why even in church we have our mercy offering. And that offering is what we use in helping those who are in need. If we see someone who is in need, someone is sick, someone has, in, someone has a trouble, we, we go to that phone and see how we can help. But that only depends on the generosity of Christians. If Christians are not giving, the church can only do so much. Number four, we must give with the understanding that the Father sees our gifts. I want you to picture the, the, this scenario that if God was sitting in front of the church, like Jesus Christ stood in front of the offering basket when he was alive here on earth, if God was physically present and watching your offerings, I don't think many of us would give him what we're giving. But the failure to understand that God is watching is what can cause us to come before him and give him our change and give him leftovers. Because we don't think God is watching. So we must understand that God is watching our offering. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, it says, When you give, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. So, no matter how you put your hand in your pocket and try to twist your offering, or, or no matter who you help, 
You had somebody at the stop sign, nobody was watching. You thought nobody was seeing. God is seeing everything. You don't need to announce it or tell someone about it because God is seeing. So we must give understanding that God sees. When we give in church, we are not simply adding money to the church budget or the church account. The Father himself recognizes how much we give and when we give. Our ultimate goal is to please the Father. Are you conscious of the fact that your giving is to the Lord and seen by the Lord? Are you conscious that God is taking records of your giving? Number five, giving should be an act of worship. Giving should be an act of worship. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, on the first day of the week, which was their day of wash fellowship, he says, each one of you is to put aside and save. Talking about the offerings. Each one is to put aside. Meaning, like the Bible says in the, in the Old Testament, do not come before the house of the Lord empty-handed. It was a requirement for them to, when they come into the house of the Lord to put an offering aside as part of their worship. You know, Paul here is teaching, or teaching the, the Corinthian church that they have to take their offerings as an act of worship, which is part of their regular Lord's Day worship. When we give our money to the church, we are worshiping God Almighty in accordance with His Word. Have you realized that when you give to God and to church on Sunday or whatever day you go to church, it's not just contribution. It's an act of worship. And once you have this understanding, your notion of giving will change because then you know you can't give to God anyhow because it's an expression of your worship. Number six, giving should be in accordance with our means. Giving should be in accordance with with that means. In Second Corinthians eight twelve, it says, "For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable, according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have." So God is expecting that the measure with which He has blessed you should be the measure with which you give. If you are a billionaire, you should give at the level of a billionaire. If you are a millionaire. You should give at the level of a millionaire. If you are a thousandaire, you should give at the level of a thousandaire, if anything exists like that. If you are a hundredaire, you should give at the level where you are. So if God has placed you financially at a certain level and you are giving below that level, just imagine if a billionaire comes to church and he gives $100 in an offering. And then another man who is like a regular person gives $10 in an offering. Looking at the 100 compared to the 10, you're like, oh, he gave a lot. But compared to what he has, he didn't give anything. Let me say this. God does not measure what you give based on the amount that you give or the amount that you've given. God measures your giving based on what is left. 
God measures your giving based on what is left. So if you have 1,000 and you give God 100, he measures your generosity based on what is left, not on the amount that you've given. So we must give according to our means, according to how we have been blessed. So Paul is saying in Second Corinthians 8.12 that we should give in proportion to what God has given us. So this means we are supposed to give, like I said, proportionally. Those who have more should give more. Those who have more should give more. And those who have less should give according to their levels. The Lord never asks us to give what we do not have. The Lord expects us to give according to our means. According to our means. Are you giving in proportion to how, to how much God has blessed you? Number seven. We reap according to the measure of our giving. We read according to the measure of our giving. Sometimes we pray prayers, Oh Lord, open doors for me, you know, bless me. And you pray all these prayers. But God is looking at the sincerity of your prayers by your giving. Anybody can say what they want to say with their mouth. Because talk is cheap. But your giving is a message to God. How you will act. If God gave you more money. Now that you have what you have, you are struggling to give to God or even give to people, give to the poor. What will happen if God gave you more? Nothing is really going to change because giving is not about how, how much more you have. It's a will. It's a desire. If you can't give less, even when you have more, it will change nothing. The Bible says, he that is faithful in least will also be faithful in much. And he that is unfaithful in least will also be unfaithful in much. So the amount you have is not going to change. I mean, your attitude is not going to change with the amount you have. So if you want to reap, you sow more to reap. Sometimes people say, Lord, if you bless me, I will build a church. If you bless me, I will help offers. If you bless me, I will sponsor, you know, this. You, you say all these prayers, but God is looking at the little he has given to you. What are you doing with the little he has given to you? How many people have you helped with what he has given to you? And you think if the Lord makes you a millionaire today, something is going to change. It's a lie. We reap what we sow. Let me say this to you. Prosperity does not answer to prayer. Prosperity answers to principles. Give, and it shall be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shall men give into your bosom. If you want to receive, you give. You don't receive by prayer. 
God has established a principle. If you want to receive, you give. That is why you can be prayerful, spiritual, anointed, and poor. Because if money responded to prayer, we can all agree that Africa will be the richest continent because we know how to pray. But money answers to principles, not to prayer. So if you want to reap, you give. If the Lord sees that you handle the resources He's given to you, like in the case of Solomon, God gave Solomon abundant wealth and wisdom because He saw that Solomon had the attitude of managing the resources that He will give to him. Only one sacrifice was required for a king. When he came to the temple to make a sacrifice, Solomon gave 1,000. Another time he came with 144,000. Tell me why God will not make it the richest man in his time. Number eight, giving must be free will. Giving must be free will. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, he said, Each one must do just as he has proposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. So if you are giving because you are false or because you are trying to save face, like I always say, we, I used to remember those days when we used to be in church and you don't have an offering and you, are, and you don't want to be embarrassed to sit in the crowd alone. So then you find an offering from your friend or sometimes you just look for change scraps and go to the front just to mark yourself present. You don't get any blessing from that kind of giving. Giving must be something that flows from your, from your mind freely. Not by composure, not by manipulation, not by threat. It should be free will giving. You give freely, not under compulsion. And number nine, a Christian giving should be cheerful giving. In the B part of Second Corinthians uh, 9.7, it says, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. What does it mean to be cheerful? It means you give happily. There are people who give freely. Nobody has forced them to give. They are not happy. They wish they would have used this money for something else. Or something they're wondering, why am I giving my money to the church? You must be happy about giving. Your giving is blessed when you give it cheerfully. You give it happily. You give it smiling. This is why sometimes the, the, the church can be celebrating and dancing. The moment you see offering time, the temperature goes down because most people are not happy. Because it's like giving is inconvenient for them. But when we understand giving, we know that we are supposed to give cheerfully, joyfully, dancing, celebrating. Because it's a privilege to give to the Lord. He needs nothing from you. The cattle on the thousand he belongs to him. Silver and gold belongs to him. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So when we get the opportunity to give, we rejoice. I'm sure if the President of the United States said, 
please, I need you to come to the White House tomorrow and bring me a pack of portable water. We will be delighted with joy to go give to him. You will tell all your friends, can you imagine that the president asked me to bring him water tomorrow? It doesn't matter how much that water costs, you will get it for him. Because it's a privilege. One more about giving to God. So our giving must be cheerful. Number 10. Giving begins with tithing. This point is very powerful and challenging. Giving begins with tithing. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Bring ye all the tithes, 10% of your income, into the storehouse, that they may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you have not room for it. Now, why do I say giving begins with your tithing? Because tithing is prescribed. So, your generosity is not, ex- is not expressed by tithing. You don't say you're generous because you pay tithing. Tithing is like tax. When you go to the store and you buy, the Virginia charges you 25% tax. You're not doing the government a favor. It is required. If you live in this land, the roads you drive on, the hospitals you go to, the schools you go to, are maintained by that tax. And according to scripture, like it said, it says, bring the tithes that there may be food in my house. The rent of the church is paid by tithe. Pastors are paid by tithe. All the bills and all the services that we have in church are paid from tithe. So tithing is like kingdom tax. Your generosity begins after your tithing. I say that because there was a time where I would just pay my tithe. Once I have succeeded to mark that 10%, and like glory be to God, hallelujah. But then, you just pay tax. You did not give. Your generosity begins after tithing. What does this mean? If you give when you have not given your tithe, that giving is not Christian giving because you are giving out of your own will and out of your own principles, not according to God's principles. The Lord gives you 100%. He says 10% belongs to Him. Whatever you decide to do with that 90% is what you do out of generosity. Some people take their tithes to help the poor. They take their tithes to help the sick. They take their help to help the needy. Malachi chapter 3 says, bring the tithes into the storehouse. Not use it to help the poor. Not use it to pay and offer school fees. So if you want to be generous, your generosity begins after your tithes. So if you're not paying tithes and you're giving, it's like you not paying your house rent. And then you take your money for house rent and you say, I'm helping the poor. I don't think your family will appreciate what you're doing. Even though what you're doing for the poverty, for the person who is poor, who is receiving the help, will be celebrated. But in your family, it will not be celebrated because you're neglecting your primary responsibilities. So our giving begins with our tithe. It begins, sorry, after our tithe. After you pay tithe, that's where your generosity begins. So don't be glad that you pay tithe and now you think that you're a generous person. 
God gives you 100%. He says 90 belongs, 10 belongs to me. That 90, you can do whatever you want to do with it. Number 11. Giving should be first and the best. Giving should be the first and the best. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord your God with your wealth and with the first fruit of your crops, and your bands will be filled to overflowing, and your vats with brine over with new wine. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. That's what I said. It begins with your tithing. If you are not giving God that first portion that belongs to Him, any other thing you're doing, you're just running your own show. God is not involved. This is the reason. When we were in Sunday school, we, we used to be taught or heard hear that the reason why God rejected uh, Cain's offering was because Cain, some teachers say Cain brought uh, God rotten tomatoes. Some people say, some teachers say God brought, uh, Cain brought God rotten yams. And there were multiple stories that were said. It was, good, it was a good illustration to help kids understand, you know, the importance of giving what is good to the Lord. But the reason why God rejected the offerings of Cain was because what Cain brought to the Lord was not first. Abel brought the very first. The moment he harvested, he brought the very best to the Lord. But Cain brought leftovers. In other words, after he had enjoyed the first harvest, then he went ahead to bring whatever he wanted to God. God wants the first because he's the first. God cannot be second. You cannot treat God like the second. So the way we give can reveal who God is to us and where God sits in our lives. Is he the first or is he the second? The reason why he wants the first 10% of what he gives to you is because he wants you to always recognize that he's the first and not the second. So we give God the best. So you ask yourself, every day you give to God, is that your best? Number 12. Giving begins with yourself. The first gift God wants from us is not all our money. God wants us first. He wants us first. The Apostle Paul said this in First Second Corinthians 8.5. He says, they give themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. They give themselves first to the Lord. Then they give their offerings to the apostles. It is easy to give when you have given yourself to the Lord. Because when you have given yourself to the Lord, you are no longer living for yourself. You own nothing. So it's easy to give to the Lord. But when you, you are still in control of your life, you're still managing your own affairs, it becomes difficult to give to the Lord because you don't belong to God. So your giving begins with yourself. 
So if you're not giving your life to Christ, anything you're giving to people or to the church is a waste of money. Because you're giving, God wants your heart and not your money. He's looking for you and know what you have. So giving must begin with you first. Number 13, giving should be systematic. Giving should be systematic. Like we saw on, in 1 Corinthians 16 too, it says on the day, on the first day of the week, each one should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. 1 Corinthians 16 to NIV. To set aside. So meaning that it should be something you program. Not randomly like when they say you go to church, they say offering time, that's when you start looking in your wallet or you start searching your bank to see. When leaving the house, you should already program your offering, your tithe. Whatever you need to give should be programmed. Once you get your paycheck, you should program. Some people program they are giving throughout the week or throughout the month. Because giving is systematic. You don't give by, like you, you, you were taken by surprise. You should program. If you're supposed to help somebody, program. If there's an offer you need to help, program. If you're saying, we do you need to help, program. You should not always be embarrassed and say, oh, let's just, just take this $2, this $1. Uh, if I knew that, I was, I was going to see you. No. When you want to help people, whether it's giving to the church or helping people, helping the poor, it should be programmed. And not once. When I say systematic, not once. Because sometimes you can help somebody in January. And then now you feel like because you help somebody in January, you've done enough for this year. We are commanded by the Lord to give continually, consistently. So it must be part of your program. As the Lord is blessing you, as you're getting more money, continually and consistently include your giving in your budgeting. And number four, number 14, and the last, giving should be done wisely. Christian giving should be done wisely. What does this mean? Jesus said, we have to be good and wise stewards. You know, sometimes Christians are generous. And you are a Christian. You don't give to your church. You don't give to widows. You don't give to orphans. And all your money goes to, to organizations or, or non-profit organizations that are in charge of rescuing dogs. That is where your money goes to. You give for courses that have nothing to do with God's kingdom. It's not wise giving. Or sometimes you're giving even to a church. And that church is not preaching the gospel. That's not wise giving. We should be wise in our giving. Or tomorrow, let's say even me tomorrow, I come tomorrow and say, Hey, church, uh, this house that I'm living it's too small for me and my wife and my children. You know, I need a bigger house. I need like a seven-bedroom house. So I'm asking you, you to give an offering so I can buy the house. How does my wanting to live in luxury become your problem? You came to the church to give to the Lord. 
and to give for the expansion of the gospel, not for the luxury of the pastor. But there are people who give to the luxury of people. It's not wise giving. So when you are giving, you should ask yourself, this giving I'm giving, is it the wise giving? Are you giving for a cause that will glorify the name of the Lord? Are you giving to a place that glorifies the name of the Lord? Are you giving for the expansion of the gospel? We must be wise in our giving. So if we follow these 14 principles that I've given, then we are going to give in a way that glorifies the name of the Lord. Next week, we're going to talk about different types of offerings in the church. Because as a church, we need to understand that all that we have in the church is not tithes and offerings. There are many types of offerings. And so when those opportunities come for us to give, we, we need to understand. So we're not asking ourselves, where is this coming from? So I believe that if you paid attention today, you've had something that will help you become more effective in your giving as a Christian. Father, we thank you immensely for your love. We thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for grace. We ask El Shaddai that as we come before you today, help us to give in a way that gives you glory. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen.